0: We remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes this morning from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 26. I'm reading verses 69 through 75. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant woman came and said to him, you were also with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it in front of all of them, saying, I don't know what you were talking about. When he went over to the gate, another woman saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. With a solemn pledge, he denied it, saying, I don't know the man. A short time later, those standing there came and said to Peter, You must be one of them. The way you talk gives it away. Then he cursed and swore, I don't know the man. At that very moment, the rooster crowed. Peter remembered Jesus' words, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and cried uncontrollably. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I can invite you to be seated, and if you would turn your attention to the screen, as we shall watch a short video on the courtyard in Jerusalem.
1: On the eastern side of Mount Zion, just outside the old city of Jerusalem, sits a church called St. Peter in Gallicontu. The ruins here, both beneath the church and in the courtyard, are unspeakably significant, for this is thought to be the quarters of the high priest. In Jesus' time, this would have been a man named Caiaphas, who was instrumental in the strategy to remove Jesus from public life. A Byzantine chapel was first erected here in the 400s. It was destroyed in the Arab conquest of 1010, rebuilt into the Crusades in 1102, and once again fell into ruin when in Jerusalem again changed hands. The church of St. Peter in Gallicantu that now occupies this space was built in the 1930s. Galakontu in Latin means the rooster's crow, making it obvious why this place holds significance in the story of Jesus' final days. When Jesus was led away from the Garden of Gethsemane in chains, he would have been taken from the Mount of Olives down through the Kidron Valley and back toward the city to the High Priest's complex. These ancient stairs are part of the path that led up from the Kidron Valley and are quite likely stairs that Jesus, bound and scuffled, would have climbed to face the accusations that were being constructed against him. Here, Jesus would listen to all manner of testimony against him. He would be smacked around, spit upon, and ultimately called a blasphemer. The lower crypts from the time of Jesus still exist below ground. It is likely that Jesus was held a prisoner in the darkness here, knowing that his suffering was upon him. Meanwhile, just outside the walls, close enough perhaps for Jesus to hear the commotion in the courtyard, was a very frightened Peter, who three times denied that he even knew Jesus. The Church of St. Peter in Gallicontu is a stark and sobering place, as one walks in the footsteps of Jesus. It forces us to come face to face with the very human suffering that the Savior endured, while confronting us with the ways in which we have also denied Jesus.
0: It's good to be here with you all this morning as we're continuing our look at the places, at the passion, places, of locations in the city of Jerusalem and around the city where the final events of Jesus' life occurred. And so for most of these places, we either have a fairly accurate archaeological and historical evidence, and usually that is coupled with tradition in terms of, of generations of people going to these places and then also what we associate and what we read about them in the Gospels. So over the past three Sundays, we've talked about the, the small village of Bethany, the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, and then this morning, as you've seen from this morning's video, we're going to be looking at the courtyard or the church where the, the house of Caiaphas is remembered. As you all saw in the video, there's a church that's there where it's believed that Caiaphas' house was built. That church is called the Church of St. Peter in Gallicantu or St. Peter, where the rooster crowed. And the location of this church, as you can see on the map, is in the green portion, the upper city of the city of Jerusalem. You'll see it uh, down there under city. There's a little square that says House of Caiaphas. And so it's on an opposite slope of the Temple Mount in an area of Jerusalem called Mount Zion. All right, so this mount, it's believed by archaeologists and biblical scholars that that's the location, this green area, the higher portion of Jerusalem, the upper city, where the chief priests and the others who worked in the temple would have lived. And so this neighborhood, if you think about it, was one that was sort of exclusive. Exclusive. And as we've seen from the video, there's also a stairwell. And as I was looking at the video and thinking about it, you know, this is all archaeology, right? And so there's something that I can say about the stairwell today that you can go read something at home right after this. And it's going to say something exactly the opposite because that's archaeology, right? Or, or dis, de, uh, decisions or dis, um, discoveries are made that, that change our understanding of things as we see them. So there is that stairwell that we saw. It's believed that that stairwell—can you go to the next slide? Sorry, maybe. All right. So that stairwell—you know—that they said that is probably the stairwell that Jesus would have walked upon, but it also is a stairwell that led to the Temple Mount area, where it's believed that that stairwell connected to an elevate, elevated walkway that went over the street and connected upper city of Jerusalem directly with the Temple Mount. It may have contained an aqueduct that ran underneath it, delivering water for the temple for sacrifice and for ritual cleansing and for the other things that were needed water for in the Temple Mount. But this elevated walkway, some archaeologists believe, actually allowed the, the temple priests, the high priests, and others to travel to and from the upper city of Jerusalem without having to uh, go down and walk through the streets of Jerusalem. All right, so there's a couple of interpretations we can take on this. The first is the negative, with the criticism being that this road allowed the high priest and others to go back and forth without having to interact with other people. Kind of like in, in Soviet, the Soviet Union, you know, there were roads in, in Moscow where the Politburo could drive on and no one else drove on so that they didn't have to intermix, right? so that they didn't have to be uh, held up or anything else. And so this elevated road allowed them to avoid the bazaars, the shops, everything else that happened in the streets surrounding the Temple Mount. There's a more practical idea about this road that makes a little more sense to me. And the idea is that this road allowed the high priest and temple officials to remain ceremonially clean because so much of their job depended on them being ritually clean, did it not? In order to offer sacrifices for the people, they themselves had to be in a position where they could offer sacrifices. They themselves had to ensure that that their cleanliness was there so that when they offered something on the altar in honor or in memory or in sacrifice to God, there was a concern that if the priest was unclean, then whoever was offering that sacrifice would not also receive, um, then God wouldn't accept their sacrifice. And so the practical explanation would just be that this elevated roadway allowed the temple priest and other officials to go back and forth while remaining clean so that they didn't accidentally come in contact with someone or something that would prevent them from doing their function, from doing their job, and from leading the people of of Jerusalem and of Israel in worship. You can take it however you want. As we saw in the video, the church we're looking at was built in 1931. It's built over the top of a Crusader era church, which is built over the top of a fourth century church. Every time I watch these videos, I think I need a tour of Jerusalem that allows me to go under all these places that you go visit today, where you get to see the foundations where they say, oh yeah, there's the church from 325 or 400 or anything else. But the amazing thing about this church is friends, we can know for a fact that for over 1,500 years, people have worshiped God in this place. We can know for a fact that for over 1,500 years, not only have people worshiped God in this place, but this place has also been associated with the scripture that we're going to look at in a minute, which is Peter being in the courtyard and Peter denying Jesus three times. There's not a lot of places that have that kind of history and connection. And connection that we can trace. So what happened here? Because it's at this place that we see in the story of Jesus in his final days. In his final hours. We see that this place is a place where we see both grace and both guilt. In our scripture reading last week we read about the Garden of Gethsemane. And we heard Jesus tell the disciples, Tonight you will all fall away because of me. This is because it is written, I will hit the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will go off in every direction. Now see, Matthew doesn't tell us what all of the disciples say. But Matthew tells us what one disciple says, doesn't he? Where he says that Peter responded to Jesus saying, If, anyone else, or if, if everyone else stumbles because of you, I'll never stumble. Those are like the famous last words, aren't they? And Jesus' response, I assure you that before the rooster crows tonight, you will deny me three times. Peter, even if I must die alongside you, I won't deny you. Now, Matthew helpfully adds an editorial to that scripture that we read last week. And after Peter saying these words, where he says, the other disciples also said the same thing. But we know how the story goes. We also have the ability and the opportunity to look and to remember and see the relationship that Peter and Jesus have had for so many years together. It's only been three years that Jesus has walked along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he called out to Peter and Andrew, his brother, who were fishing, saying to them, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And they chose to follow Jesus. Choosing to follow Jesus led Peter to be on a boat in the Sea of Galilee as a storm is is tossing the boat about. And as the disciples are in fear, they look over and they see Jesus walking across the water. Peter walks out toward him. He stops and he gets scared. He begins to sink. Jesus takes his hand. He saves him. In Caesarea Philippi, we know the the relationship of Peter and Jesus, where, where Jesus asked the disciples who the people say he was. You know, and they said, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're another prophet, some say you're this. And then Peter said what? He said, you're the Messiah, the Christ, the living Son of God. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to the Mount of Transfiguration where they have the privilege of witnessing and seeing his full glory. Jesus takes this group of the three that we read about last week in the Garden of Gethsemane to be with him in prayer. Where not only have they now experienced his full glory, his full divinity, his full picture of who he is as God, and then in the garden they get to see the opposite of that, which is an example of Jesus being fully human. As he cries out to God, as he prays to God, essentially what I'm saying is Peter has seen it all, and he has experienced it all, and he has been with Jesus through it all. So as I think about this story, and instead of thinking... Or or kind of being critical of Peter. I think it only makes sense that we read and we see a story or a picture of a man who has been with Jesus through all things and in all things, at all places. He's witnessed, he's seen, he's smelled, he's tasted, he's said everything, he's done everything. And so it only makes sense for him to say, I'm not going to deny you. I'm not going to deny you. I've been with you as the disciples have questioned you. I've watched as you've changed, you know, uh, five loaves into food to feed thousands. I've heard you call out standing before a tomb, Lazarus come out, and I've watched a man walk out. See, I think when we look at Peter's story in this scripture, it completely makes sense for Peter to say, God, I'm not going to deny you because I've witnessed and seen so many things. But see, we've all made that same claim to God in our lives. When we say that, that we are not going to deny God in Christ, when we make claims like Peter does, and, and like Peter, we also find ourselves in positions where cracks start to form in our pledge to God. See, cracks are, are things that happen slowly, aren't they? usually. You, know, you, might, you might see a crack and then a little while later it gets a little bigger and then a little while later you notice that it's a whole lot wider than you ever thought it was at whatever period it was that you noticed it before. Isn't that like Peter? Especially as we read the scripture this morning from Matthew chapter 26 verses 69 through 75 when he is in the courtyard of Caiaphas the high priest and people begin to question him. See, the first servant says to him, You were with Jesus, the Galilean. Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. So there's a crack. Peter goes over to the gate in the courtyard, another area, and another woman saw him and says, This man was with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. Peter responded with a solemn pledge. I don't know the man. And so a second crack. Finally, another in the courtyard comes over to him and says, You must be one of them. The way you talk gives you away. Oh, we know from ancient records that the people that lived in the northern portion of Israel around the Galilee had a distinct dialect that did set them apart from those that lived in Jerusalem and Judea and other parts of Israel. It's like when we hear someone talking from the deep south or somewhere else. Peter's response to this question was not just a solemn pledge no, it was not just a denial, but the scripture says he cursed and he swore, and he said, I don't know the man. The third crack, and then the rooster crowed. And essentially the whole house that Peter had built at that time in thinking that he had built in a solid place, that he was in a foundational place, that, that he would not crack or fall away or deny Jesus crumble. As he realized that the words that Jesus had said in Matthew in the Garden of Gethsemane had come true. And see, Peter was heartbroken. All of the disciples had fled. All of the disciples had run from Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane except one. And that was Peter who was there in this courtyard. Peter who's now there and who has denied Jesus and who's heartbroken and and who knows that, that he or feels like he has abandoned Jesus in his time of greatest need, that he had denied him, he had turned his back on him, he had thought it was all over, whatever it was. But see, here's where the gospel comes into effect. Because Peter felt like he had abandoned Jesus and denied him and and done everything to turn his back on him. But what do we see in the scripture is that that is not the case. Because Jesus wasn't done with Peter. Just like Jesus wasn't done with any of the other disciples. Well, I mean, except Judas because he was no longer around, but all the rest of them that fled, that ran, that denied Jesus in their own way. They didn't say it outright like Peter did, but they certainly weren't there when Jesus needed them, were they? But see, this morning, Scripture shows us that every one of them, every one of them, Jesus wasn't done with them, just like today he's not done with Peter. Jesus can take the cracks that happen between us and him, and he can fill them in. Jesus takes the cracks and he fills them in with whatever it is as he offers us forgiveness and and hope and grace and the opportunity that we have to, to be in a relationship with him and to pursue a greater faith with him and to pursue the life that we know that he wants for each of us. See, thank God Jesus was not done with Peter in the courtyard at Caiaphas' house. Thank God that that Jesus is not done with us. Even when we say and even when we do things like Peter, where we deny Christ in our lives. Because if you see, the only perfect person that we read about in the Scripture is Jesus. Everyone else that we read about everyone else is an imperfect person responding to the work and call of God in their lives. And so for Peter's case, it was this imperfect person who denied Jesus, who who wanted to flee from him, who wasn't there in his time of greatest need. But yet what did Peter end up being the one that that, that, that did later after the resurrection? He ended up being the one standing in Jerusalem preaching. Because God can, God does, And God will use imperfect people to complete his perfect plan. Even Peter, even James and John and Andrew, even Philip, even you, and even me. See, friends, when God looks at those that he is going to use and does use, he doesn't look for the people that are the most perfect. But he looks for those of us that are willing to follow. To listen to the Spirit's urging. To listen to the Spirit's prompting. And for those that are willing to to come back and seek his forgiveness and seek his grace even after we've fallen. Even after we've denied him. Even after we've allowed whatever cracks that have formed between us and him to keep us from truly being in relationship with him. See, Jesus wasn't done with Peter, just like he's not done with you or me. He's not done with us when we deny him. He's not done with us when we do anything else. The only time he'll be done with us is in his final victory, when God's kingdom is a a reality, and when Jesus returns, and we can sit and be in his presence. Amen.